Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome to another episode of the podcast. This one is sponsored by Spoken. And uh, with Spoken, it's like having an English teacher in your pocket because they will send you English lessons using messaging services like WhatsApp or WeChat. And essentially, uh, you sign up and Spoken, a teacher at Spoken will send you some tasks. They will involve some listening, some speaking with the microphone, some ra- reading and writing. And generally, it's aimed to improve your English for professional purposes. And uh, after you've done your tasks and stuff, uh, the teacher will send you uh, more things that are adapted to your level and to your needs. And Spoken are offering all of my listeners 20% off all of their courses and uh, two free lessons. Go to getspoken.com slash LEP for more information or click a Spoken logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you today? Hope you're doing all right. Uh, everything's fine here. Thanks very much for asking, if you did ask. If you didn't ask, then uh, that's fine too. I don't mind. Everything's all right with me. It's a nice day today. Sun is shining. Uh, temperature is... Uh, very nice indeed. It's extremely nice, in fact. I think we're in the region of like 20-something, 20 22 degrees today. Lovely. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, it's about time as well because the weather has been rubbish um, so far this spring. Mostly. Mostly rubbish. Um, but we're having a little break from that as the sun has come out today and it, and it was like this yesterday as well. But the thing is that it's not going to last, is it, of course? Uh, thunderstorms are uh, forecast for the next couple of days after this so um, I guess what's this like a a, a high pressure front that's coming through and it's bringing with it this um, uh, electrical storm uh, which is a pity in one way because it means that we won't be able to sit around in the sunshine but also it's good isn't it because I I think uh, thunderstorms are brilliant I have to admit, I love a good thunderstorm when you hear the thunder and it's like a, this huge booming, cracking sound and you you see the, the lightning and sometimes you can actually see the, the lightning uh, go through the sky and strike something on the ground or just, um, uh, well, that's it's rare actually that you see it striking on the ground, but you you can often see the lightning kind of moving across the sky, which is just amazing. And because we've got a bit of a view here from from the flat, um, when there is a thunderstorm, we can just sit in the window and just watch all of the lightning. It's absolutely amazing. I think I've said on the podcast before that when I lived in London, I used to watch all of the planes coming in um, across the sky, uh, flying towards Heathrow. And when there was a thunderstorm, the planes would get hit by the lightning which looked incredible. I could, you know, I'd see the planes coming out of the cloud and there was always about three planes in the sky because Heathrow is one of the busiest airports in the world. So there would always be about three planes coming in in a queue 
and they would pop out of the big storm over London and a bit of lightning would come out and strike the plane as it went past. Amazing. And apparently that's okay. That can happen to a plane without any trouble. Um, I suppose it's because the plane isn't connected to the ground, so it means that the the electrical charge doesn't take effect or something. I don't really understand the, the physics of it. Is that physics? That is physics, isn't it? Electricity? I think that's physics. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, so if there is a, a thunderstorm, that could be quite entertaining. So, you know, you've got to look on the bright side, haven't you? Uh, you have to see that every cloud has a silver line, lining and every thunderstorm has an epic, entertaining light show in the middle of it as well. Uh, getting deep and meaningful here on the podcast already. And it's only been about five minutes. So, um, hello and welcome to the to the podcast again. And in this episode, I'm going to go through some questions from the comments section and from my inbox and also give you a bit of news. So there will be some grammar, some vocab, um, some of your reactions. I say your reactions. I mean the reactions of some of my listeners. It might not be specifically you. I find that annoying, don't you, on radio and TV shows when they say, today we're going to be responding to your questions. And for the majority of people listening... It's not their questions. It's just the questions of some people. Anyway, I'm going to respond to some listener questions and comments and things. Um, so some grammar, some vocab, some reactions, uh, some of uh, listeners' reactions to recent episodes, and some bits relating to how you can continue to push your English with this podcast. Okay? So the first thing I want to say is, uh, since this episode is about comments and questions, uh, the comment section on the website is buzzing with chat these days. It's really lively. There's loads of conversation going on. Um, photos are being shared of people's um, like jogging routes and shots of gorgeous spring flowers and blossoms in full bloom. Some really lovely pictures uh, being shared in the comments section, including you know just pictures of the, the environments that people are in when they listen to the podcast, and also some of the nice countryside uh, where my listeners live. So that's nice. Um, and also uh, other things, like for example, a regular listener called Sylvia is doing an illustration for every single episode of the podcast, and then posting that illustration in the comments section, which is lovely. Um, and she's kind of set herself a challenge to do some sort of illustration for each one. Um, and also the regular commenters are having some long and funny conversations and they are really friendly and they like a laugh. So I invite you to get stuck into the comments section and see what all the fuss is about. You'll see that there are some very friendly people there and uh, things are being discussed, including, of course, some of often very interesting and useful information being shared about the learning of English and about the world in general, and videos are being shared, and links, and comments, and things, and th generally, I've got some really interesting, funny, and clever people in my comments section, so um, actually, it's a bit like uh, extra content, in a sense. If you look at the bottom of the episode page on my website, if you've, cons if you've listened to the episode, and looked at all the notes, and all that stuff, and checked out any videos, or other things I've shared, it is worth scrolling down to check out the comments section because people are sharing their stories, they're giving advice, uh, giving their personal points of view and sharing resources and things. So it's quite a nice little extra part of the package, really. Um, there are some kind of usual commenters, uh, the kind of comment section crew, 
Um, and those usual commenters are people like Kat and Nick and Jack, Agnes, Marta, Antonio, Eri, Hiro, Iuamo, uh, Sylvia, Jilmani, Mayumi, Ethan, Syntropy, and probably loads of other people that I've forgotten about. If I have forgotten about you, then I'm very, very sorry. It's difficult to keep track of all the people that uh, are frequenting my comments section. I used to get a notification on my phone, like a little you know, push notification Every time someone commented on an episode, I'd get like a notification. You know, you know, like when you get a text message. I used to get that every time someone commented, and honestly, I had to switch it off because just it was just going all the time, just completely mad. It's like my phone was flashing on and off constantly, so I had to turn off the comments because uh, it, it I literally like my phone couldn't deal with anything else. And across all of the episodes, I mean, I'm I'm getting quite a lot of comments but i've got lots of pages on my website too so you know uh my notifications were like compiling all of them um but so what i do is i drop into the comment section and have a look and just kind of you know read through the comments and stuff and so it's very nice to see what people are contributing there um in terms of the number of comments let's see who is the top commenter uh in the comment section so in third place We've got Jack. He's written 963 comments. 963 comments he's written. So he's in third place. Uh, Nick is in second place with 1,851 comments. That's a lot of comments. And then in first place, that's Kat, of course, who is the long-running top commenter with now a total of uh, 2,795 comments, which has probably gone up since uh, I've even I've said this. So there you go. Check out the comments section. Nice people. Nice stuff. Everything's nice. Nice, 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 nice. Good, good, good. Fun, fun, fun. All right? Good. Now, next thing. Here's a bit of news for the podcast. I'm very happy to say that I will soon, like later this month, be interviewing a really cool special guest. And I'm really excited and really, really pleased. This is a guest that I've been thinking about contacting for some time and um, who I think is kind of like the ideal person to talk to on this podcast. Someone who is a legend in the world of, um, of linguistics. And I'm talking about basically the probably the world's uh, first writer and lecturer about the English language. And I'm talking about, I don't know if any of you have guessed who I'm talking about yet, I'm talking about David Crystal, Professor David Crystal, and he is the foremost writer and lecturer on the English language. And he's got a worldwide reputation and he's written over 100 books. Most of them are about language, different aspects of language, grammar, uh, accents, uh, punctuation, uh, everything really, including some stories about his, his own life and how that kind of relates to his journey through linguistics. Um, he is an honorary Professor of Linguistics at the University of Wales, and in 1995 he was awarded the OBE for services to the English language. He's got an OBE, that's the Order of the British Empire, which is one of those honours that the Queen gives out every year. So you've got the OBE, and the top level one is is uh, the knighthood, Sir, so like Sir Mick Jagger, for example. Um, that's the top level honour that you can get, but... Um, David Crystal's got an OBE, which is really impressive. An OBE for services to the English language. Absolutely brilliant. 
Um, so I'm delighted to say that I'm going to have him on the podcast. It hasn't happened yet, so you never know. It might get cancelled. I really hope it doesn't. If if it if this gets cancelled for any reason, I'll be really disappointed. But I met David Crystal once in 2012 um, when he gave me an award. Uh, I was doing a talk with Andy Johnson at a, a conference, and we won an award for the talk that we did. And it we we were given like these certificates by David Crystal. That was cool. And then afterwards, when we were all having drinks, I talked to uh, David about like I can't remember now but it was brilliant I remember standing there we had like a glass of wine each and we were just talking about stuff and he's really really nice he's a really really nice lovely guy and I have always wanted to have him on the podcast I always thought I should ask David Crystal to be on the podcast I don't know why I never did it before I think I don't know I don't know really why I I always thought well why would he do it he's probably going to say no but then, of course, he wouldn't say no because he's really nice. It's the sort of thing he would do. So anyway, I plucked up the courage to contact him and I sent him an email saying, you know, oh, you're great. You know, we met once. Uh, would you do an interview on my podcast? And uh, thankfully, he said yes. So that's good, isn't it? And Because David Crystal's basically like the Gandalf of English, you know. He's like the sort of Dumbledore of the English language. He, he's, he's got, like, grey hair and a, a big grey beard. So he looks like a wizard or something. Um, actually, he's just a really sort of interesting um, um, expert on, on linguistics. And it's not just that he knows so much. It's also that he's able to talk about things in a really interesting and engaging way. He's a great public speaker. I saw him do a speech... Uh, a, a presentation at a, a conference once and it was really funny and really interesting and he's got a great way of making complex linguistics very simple and easy to, di- to digest and popular and essentially he's a really really great spokesman for linguistics and I think I honestly think that he is that that OBE that he got is completely justified because he has managed to sort of bring uh, linguistics into people's lives in a very very easy to consume way Uh, and I'm very glad to be interviewing him now in terms of questions I'm going to ask him honestly I have I have loads of questions that I could ask and I could easily fill up several episodes with him just asking all the questions in my head but I'd, I'd also like to give you a chance to ask a few questions okay so if you've got a question for Professor David Crystal a question about language. Now, he's not an English teacher. He's a linguist. So that's someone who studies language and understands what makes them work and what place they have in, in our world and all that kind of thing. So he's not someone who teaches other people how to speak English, but he knows so much about in English, including the history and the way in which it's developing. He, he's he got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen to English in the future um, and so if you've got a question for him, leave it in the comments section of this episode. Okay, leave your questions for David Crystal in the comments section. Now, I can't guarantee that I will ask him all of your questions. But if there are some particularly good ones, then I will ask them. I'll add them to my list. Okay, so stick your questions in and I'll, you know, I, I'll, if I'm inspired by some of the questions, I'll pick them out and I'll put them in my list. Okay. Otherwise, if I don't ask David uh, those questions, I will have a stab at answering the ones that I, that I didn't give to him. I mean, I don't know if that sounds very big of me. Like, I'll do it. I'll do the th- questions if I can. I mean, if there are questions I can't answer, 
those might be the ones I'll ask him. If I feel like I know the answer already, then I might have a stab at doing them myself in an episode sometime. Anyway, the point is, got a question for David Crystal, stick it in the comments section and I'll, you know, I'll pick and choose some to ask him. Okay. All right. So that's good. Um, so moving on to the comments section, here are some comments which arrived recently. The first one is from uh, a listener called Cat, uh, which I've mentioned, who I've mentioned a, a number of times. She's not actually a cat. Uh, she's a real person. She's called Catherine, but um, her nickname is Cat. It would be funny if she was an actual cat. That would be impressive. But, you know, I have said on this podcast before that everyone's welcome to listen to this. Uh, people, pets, there may be pets in the room uh, while you listen to the podcast and they might be listening and really improving their English. And who knows, maybe when you go out, your cat is crawl- is crawling over to the... Uh, keyboard and going online and listening to Luke's English podcast and typing comments in the comments section. So uh, I've never actually met uh, Catherine. Uh, I've never seen her. So she might actually be a cat. I don't know. But anyway, here's uh, Kat's uh, comment. And this is in reply to the episode I did recently with Amber about British humour. If you remember that one. Um, And Kat's comment goes like this. This. Hi Luke and Amber, thanks for your lovely chat. It was a most enjoyable and also educational episode. I've got two questions. Question number one, you mentioned NHS as something uh, that each Brit is proud of. What is it exactly? And two, during the dissection of Hugh Grant's quote, you said that he was public school. What does that mean? Thanks for your explanations, Cat. All right, so two questions. One, what is the NHS? And one, what does public school mean? Really good questions because these are really important things in British life and culture. So there's a lot to be said about them. You can learn a lot from from those questions. As ever, Kat, you're totally spot on. Um, So let's see. Starting with the NHS. The NHS, um, I said in that episode with uh, Amber, was the thing that British people are most proud of. It's something that we are very, um, uh, yeah, very proud of, essentially. NHS means National Health Service. Um, So this is our nationalised health service, basically. And it's a big institution. It's probably the the thing that the government spends most of of its money on, I think. There's that. The big things are that and defence and, you know, other other stuff. Uh, But a lot of government spending goes on the NHS. And it's a huge institution. And essentially... It's this well. It's part of the welfare state that was set up by the Labour government uh, in the immediate uh, post-war period after World War Two. The government kind of uh, created all these national sort of um, uh, institutions like the NHS, and it's been there, you know, with us since the Second World War. And um, essentially, it's our free healthcare system. So every person in the UK uh, has the right to free healthcare, which is an amazing idea. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I think it's, I genuinely think it's a great idea. You know, if you get sick, if you have an accident and break your leg, the ambulance will come and get you. They'll take you to the hospital. And in theory, they will give you the treatment you need and you'll be all right. If you get sick, if you get cancer, uh, the NHS uh, will give you the treatment that you need. They'll, you know, give you the chemotherapy, the scans, the medication, the advice. It's all there. It's amazing. I mean, it is brilliant and it's something that we should protect and so naturally people are you know very proud of it 
The people who work in the NHS, the doctors and nurses, are brilliant and they work extremely hard. They often work very long hours and they're doing an amazing, amazing job looking after people. Um, And the thing is, though, if you've read the news about the UK, you'll notice that the NHS often comes up. Because it being such an important part of our country, it is the subject of a lot of debate and a lot of discussion and a lot of disagreement and a lot of opinions and criticism as well. Um, so let's see. The problems that the NHS faces are basically, uh, they're mainly financial issues. It's mainly relating to the struggle between the financial side of things and the, the actual principles of what the, the NHS is supposed to do, which is to help people. Uh, so these two things, you know, sometimes are in conflict. Um, let's see. So I guess we should say that the government at this at this time, the Conservative government, which we've had for, you know, seven years now, basically, and we had a coalition, but now the Tories, and they look set to win a bigger majority at the next election, which is just coming up. Um, the Tories, as you know, because we, we've talked about this before, uh, their general plan with the country is to try and limit public spending. So they're trying to cut back on the money that they spend on services. And that includes everything in the welfare state, including healthcare. So the government basically wants to try and save money by spending less on on the NHS. Okay. Now, what people are scared of is that the Conservatives sort of, for some reason, don't like the NHS because it doesn't fit in with their ideological model which is essentially let profit let sort of business the private sector and profit drive things uh bring the private sector into things like healthcare uh to allow companies to start competing as if it's a marketplace you know and that will those are the right conditions in which uh healthcare can be given that's the general approach that the conservatives have and what people are worried about is that the tories actually actively don't like the nhs and they want to kind of um uh, jeopardize it somehow now of course the conservatives are not saying that they would never say yes our plan is to jeopardize the nhs from from the inside they would never do that because people love it so much but you but people are scared that the tories are essentially going to try and um sort of cripple the nhs with certain policies to the point at which people basically start looking for another solution and that's when the private sector comes in now i don't know if that's actually what the Tories are doing but this is what people are worried about so they criticize the Tories saying that they are really bad for the National Health Service and that uh, by cutting back on public spending they're essentially causing all these these widespread problems across the the system Uh, those problems being that there aren't enough beds that the waiting lists are far too long that the doctors and nurses have to work extremely long hours that they don't get paid enough that junior doctors aren't getting the support and pay that they need and that essentially the Tories are sort of ignoring um, or actively undermining the NHS in order to like pave the way for private health care. All right. Um, now, the right wing press in the UK, and that we've got a very dominant right wing press, papers like the Daily Mail, for example, they always talk about the NHS. First of all, it's they always say it's a um, it's a scandal. It's terrible that there are waiting lists and all these things. So they they they're quite hysterical about those things. And, you know, fair enough, the, the fact that there are waiting lists, the fact that people sometimes don't get a bed, you know, those are real problems. But the, the Daily Mail or the right-wing press always 
poke the blame at the immigrants and they say that immigrants are coming into the UK and they are draining all of our resources and they're taking advantage of our uh, our welfare state and um, and this is why the NHS is struggling because of the burden of, of immigration. So they blame, they blame immigrants, other people blame the spending cuts. So basically the NHS is at the centre of this debate with these kind of, you know, uh, different factions. It's a bit like the BBC, you know, you've got the, the right wing um, who sort of don't like the fact the BBC is this non-profit organisation. And then you got on the left the people who kind of see the BBC as like the the embodiment of the establishment. So you know it's kind of like um, gets pulled around between people. But I think most people in the UK value the NHS. We we want to protect it. Uh, we all know that if the Conservatives come clean about their their intentions for it, that uh, it'll be extremely bad for for them. Um, so yeah, there you go. I mean, the last thing we need is an American style private healthcare system. I really, really don't understand the reaction of some Americans to Obamacare. That it seemed to me that what Barack Obama was doing was a perfectly honourable and really good thing by trying to create this system where everyone's got uh, public healthcare. I mean, it's just totally normal in 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 Europe, like in France, for example, they've got this massive wealth welfare state, and it's amazing. I mean, it's really great, and I think it's, I think it's just the foundation of a civilized society. The idea being that we look after each other. You know, we don't let people die without healthcare. We look, we we have the resources. We we can easily do it. So let's look after each other. After all, we do live on top of each other and society is a big thing. And, um, you know, so we've got to stick together. Um, I, you know, I don't understand why some, like, Republicans in America blocked Obamacare so furiously. Um, I guess it comes from this idea that somehow this federal system in America is looked upon with a very kind of suspicious eye, uh, as if it's, you know, the early stages of communism, which is their version of like pure evil that, uh, you know, the state could have so much control over things like, you know, your health care. I don't really understand that. I, underst- I know that in America, there's an ideological position, which is basically government is bad. And uh, I don't want the government to be involved in my business. Because, you know, if you look at American history, you see that um, the government in the past has been a bit sort of controlling. Um, when you think of the British, um, you know, the British Empire that was the colonial power. So it goes back to all that stuff. But I mean, these days, things are totally different. I think a lot of American people, especially those Republicans, are just living in this kind of um, this dream world where everything's still exactly the same as it was when the Constitution was written. Um, anyway, so there you go. That's the NHS cat. It's our National Health Service. Really important. Uh, the other thing was um, Hugh Grant and public school. So we were talking about Hugh Grant as an example of someone who sort of often displays self-deprecating humour. And I think Amber just very quickly mentioned that he's public school. Now, what that means is that he's a bit posh. In fact, it probably means he's really posh. I've talked about posh before. It just means upper class. Now, the term public school is a bit misleading because you think public school, doesn't that mean that people, you know, doesn't that mean state run schools, schools paid for by the state. 
Um, I, I understand that public school means state schools in many other places. But in the UK, that's not what it means. In fact, it's kind of the exact opposite of that, which is a little bit um, uh, misleading. So essentially, with the school system, we've got, let's say, to keep it simple, we've got three types of school. We have state schools, we've got private schools, and then we have public schools. Okay, State schools are the ones that are basically paid for by the government from you know the tax tax revenue um so state schools paid for by the government free for everyone another essential foundation of a civilized society i think free education free healthcare uh free wi-fi as well is the other one it's not okay anyway so uh what was i saying state schools fine um next one is private schools which obviously are just private ones so you pay to get in there's usually an entrance exam you've got to pay fees and that's it okay so you pay to to go to them they're often quite difficult to get into and then you've got public schools which are like uber private schools like the highest level private schools they're called public schools because of some old tradition when they were first set up um the idea was that they were public, that anyone could apply to get in. But now, when you say public schools, you're referring to these old establishments, these extremely exclusive schools that you tend to find only the, the kids of the most privileged, rich, uh, upper-class families go to. These are the schools that you know Prince William and Prince Harry went to, um, right? Uh, so public schools, and these are schools like Eton or Harrow, for example, and often they're boarding schools, so the kids go and, and live there. They sleep there in the evenings, a bit like Hogwarts or something. Um, and so these are these very exclusive, very upper-class places. So if you describe someone as public school, it means that they're posh, they're upper-class. Okay? Right, so there you go. And Hugh Grant is um, he is uh, basically a public school. He is quite posh. You can hear it in his voice. I was planning to do an episode about about this. I don't know if you remember. I've done I've sort of planned, half planned so many episodes in the past and never actually done them. But I've got one that's pretty much finished. It just needs to be recorded and it's called Posh or Not. And in that one I'll talk to you about some sort of famous British people, tell you about them and listen to them a little bit and you have to decide if they're posh or not. So one of the people in my list is actually Hugh Grant. And you can hear, if you listen to him, he does have that sort of, you know, that very posh sort of voice. I don't know why posh people do that. <laughs> they do a little bit. They kind of, uh, there's a lot of sort of pausing and inability to string a sentence together. Well, obviously, you know, Boris Johnson is like that. Well, you know, um, look, a lot, lot of this kind of, a lot of noises and, uh, you know, these, these sorts of things. And it sounds like they've got maybe something wrong with the mouth. Like they've got... Uh, what they say in England is that you've got plums in your mouth. So if you imagine someone who's got plums in their mouth like this and they sound, tend to sound terribly posh like this. That's an extreme example. But um, anyway, Hugh Grant's a bit posh. So I should do posh or not one day. That would be, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Uh, it would. All right. I would like to say at this moment, thank you very much to a listener. And I'm just... I'm opening a package here. Can you hear this? Opening a package. I got to work the other day. I arrived at work. And I went to my, um, like, uh, locker. Because we've got lockers at work where we keep all our stuff. 
you know, like in American in an American high school drama, there's always like the scene where they're at their lockers. It's like a bit like that, uh, but with less bullying. Uh, anyway, so I went to my locker, I got my books, and I found a package in there. And I was like, hello, hello, what's this? A package. And uh, I opened it up. And what was inside was this lovely oil painting of Paris. And this is an oil painting that was done by a listener to the podcast called Sasha Sokolova. And it's fantastic. It's a really nice uh, oil painting of of, uh, a view of Paris. And I was looking at it and thinking, wow, that's amazing. And then I thought, that view looks familiar. That that view looks really, really familiar. And then I realised, that's the view from my window. And then I thought, how on earth has she done that? Is she sneaked into my apartment when I was on holiday and sat there and painted a picture? And then I was like, oh, no, of course, she got it on Facebook because I posted a picture of the view on Facebook. So she's obviously done a like an oil painting of this picture, but it's really good. Um, so thank you so much, Sasha. Thank you very, very much. This is what Sasha wrote in her note to me. She said, hi, Luke. I'm sending to you my painting as a thank you for doing Luke's English podcast. So much fun listening to it. Thanks again, your Lepster, Sasha Sokolova. That's fantastic, Sasha. Thank you so much. And she attached her her card uh, to the back of the picture. And you can check out Sasha's work at sashasokolova.com. Sashasokolova.com. S-A-S-H-A-S-O-K-O. L-O-V-A dot com. Sasha Sokolova.com. Check it out. You can see some of her work and she's very talented. Thank you, Sasha. That's brilliant. Talking of gifts, I need to do that video where I open all of the gifts from my Japanese Lepsters. I have actually opened the gifts already. I opened them the evening that I got them when I was in Japan in my hotel room. But I did pack them up again and I've got them here. They're just here with me. So what I want to do is do a video where I open them again and kind of just say thank you to to those of you who gave me gifts. So I still need to do that, okay? I'm still going to do that. Um, Here's a comment from Paul, not Paul Taylor, another Paul, I think. And the comment goes, Congratulations, Teacher Luke, for the podium. So he means the bronze award that I got recently. Great job and another great podcast, thanks. And then he went, It's time for me to leave audioboom.com. This is a Luke exit. Yeah, it is a kind of Luke exit of sorts when I left Audio Boom. I'm now on my new audio host. And I assume that if you're listening to this, that obviously you haven't experienced any technical issues since I moved to a new host. I think everything's all right. I mean, I can't tell really, because I could ask you, I could say, uh, you know, are you mani- are you getting all the new episodes? But that would be stupid, because if you're listening to it, then of course you're getting the new episodes. Anyway, let me know if you've had any sort of technical issues, like, for example, if the podcast episodes are not updating on your iTunes app or whatever it is. Another thing that I keep getting asked at the moment is about Amber's podcast, which we know is called Pan Am. We know it's about the history of Paris. It's all going to be in English, and it's going to feature Amber's lovely voice. Uh, and people are constantly getting in touch with me, asking me when Amber's podcast is going to drop eventually. Uh, well, the news is that she's still working on it. She has produced a number of episodes. She's decided to go for a, the, the wise, the clever approach of producing the episodes first and then uploading them uh, one by one, you know, regularly afterwards. Unlike my shambolic haphazard approach of just 
uploading and and recording as I go in this sort of random sense. So she's collecting all the stuff together. She's building her website. She's learning about RSS feeds and all that stuff. And eventually it will arrive. So don't worry. You will be informed when it's arrived. Let me assure you. You're all going to know. You're going to be the first people to know, okay? The, the Lepsters will have first dibs on Amber's podcast, so you'll, you'll, you'll be informed in due course. I just want to give you a reminder about the Orion transcription team, and they continue to produce transcripts uh, for Luke's English podcast, mainly under the management of Antonio from Spain. So thank you again, Antonio. And the Orion team are always on the lookout for new recruits, um, Antonio regularly posts messages in the comments section saying things like, you know, episode blah, blah, blah is now available for transcription and here's the Google link. And the latest episode uh, in the Google documents is episode 444, the Rick Thompson report. Uh, so if you want to get involved in transcribing some of that, then go right ahead. Uh, go to the website, go to transcriptions in the menu and uh, you should see all the information you need there. Remember that transcribing can be really good for your English, okay? Now, um, you know, I'm not just saying this because it's a way of, like, generating transcripts from my website. I'm not just saying that. Because in a way, it actually gives me a lot more work because I have to go through the transcripts myself afterwards. And I don't often get a chance to do it. Um, But the act of transcribing genuinely can be really good for your English. Um, And remember, you don't need to transcribe a whole episode. That's, That's far too much. You can just transcribe three or five minutes. It doesn't have to be a massive commitment. Uh, But if you do it regularly, you will see that it it allows you to focus your attention on what you're hearing. And you'll be surprised at how much that focus allows you to examine the language up close. Uh, And you you could also try repeating with your voice out loud some of the things that you're hearing as you transcribe. That could be a good way to convert the process into a speaking exercise as well. Um, But just to give you some sort of academic background to the suggestion that um, uh, transcribing can be good for your English. Here's a bit of sort of academic backup um, about turning input into intake to increase your language acquisition. So uh, academics have kind of worked out that there's uh, language input and language acquisition, okay? Um, Language input is basically any of the English, let's say, that you hear. So any English that you're exposed to at all, whether or not you're focusing on it or not, any English that, you, that you're exposed to. And then language acquisition is about the, the, the English that you actually take yourself and form part of your English. Okay. Um, and then between those two things, there's intake. So an intake is really the, the form of input that we really learn from. This is um, a quote from the website of the University of Austin in Texas, and they've been doing research into this. And this is what they say about input and intake. Um, the term input referred to, uh, refers to all the exposure to foreign language that is around us. Um, however, as years went on, uh, researchers realised that input... Uh, as a concept on its own, was not good enough. If the learners were not noticing or concentrating on the income of uh, flow of language, comprehension would be limited. So today, researchers in second language acquisition commonly make a distinction between input and intake. Simply put, input 
is all of the written and spoken target language that the learner encounters, whether it's fully comprehended or not. But intake is limited to the comprehended input that impacts the learner's developing linguistic system. For our purposes, we suggest that technology provides uh, ways to increase the foreign language input that learners are exposed to and also enhances the process of how input is converted into intake. So, I mean, you know, doing things like listening to podcasts and transcribing them on a Google document is an example of how you can use technology to enhance the process of how the language input that you're exposed to on this podcast is converted into intake, which can really help you in your mission to acquire English as as a really strong second language. And without getting too fancy, let's just say that to really learn from the things that you hear, you need to convert what you're hearing from input into intake. And that means listening to content which is comprehensible, for, meaning basically understandable, even though there may be some things that you don't get, which is where I try to pitch this podcast. I try to make it comprehensible, but with some stuff that is a little bit beyond you. Um, I understand that when I talk on my own, I speak in a, a clear way. I don't speak any more slowly than I normally do in my normal life, but I am presenting a show, so I'm speaking quite clearly to you, trying to make it uh, engaging to listen to. Some listeners say to me, you know, I understand you, but I don't understand other people. Um, do you speak normally? Do you speak uh, as fast as you normally do? Yeah, I just have. I just happen to have a clear voice. And that's from being an English teacher for more than 15 years. I've just developed this voice and this accent. But also, you know, I, I grew up in a family that spoke in this way. My dad, as you know, speaks like me. And so that's just, you know, the English that I speak. Um, so I'm not really trying to grade my language too much, but I'm trying to make my show gripping. Well, gripping. I don't know. That's a bit ambitious. I'm trying to make it, you know, listenable. And so I think that I speak pretty clearly, but I don't try and speak really slowly or anything. Um, obviously, it's difficult to understand people in that you encounter in movies or in the real world because people swallow their words, as people say, and you know they link all the words up together. And talking in a movie is different to me presenting uh, the podcast because you know you just it's a question of uh, speaking for a different purpose, and so that it sounds different. I do try to include you know uh, speech samples that I think are difficult and then try and break them down. So, you know, I try to mix it all up. But I do try to make this podcast a comprehensible input um, so that it's a mix of things that you already know and some things that you that you don't know or don't understand because the stuff you already know helps you to work out the stuff that you don't know. So you need the base of comprehensible input in order to, you know, then break break into the, the new stuff that, that you don't understand, Okay. So it also, like turning input into intake, also means sometimes really focusing and giving all your attention to certain bits of what you're hearing. Some things might kind of pass you by a little bit, especially when you're listening, because the words you don't know often will just go by you, and there's no way of like backing up and unless you press the rewind button, which you obviously can do. Uh, but it's not like when you're reading, you just literally look at the sentence again with listening it's gone you know so it's harder to 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 notice the new stuff the new content um and so some things might kind of pass you by but it's important while you listen to be sort of emotionally involved in it you know because that's what really brings you in and to interact with it while you're listening to really think and feel in response to what you're hearing and apparently this 
helps to turn input into intake. And transcribing portions of my episodes, or in fact any audio, uh, pushes this process to the max. It forces you to turn everything from mere input into intake. And intake is the really good stuff. That's what you learn from. And I think this is backed up by not just academic research, but by the experiences of transcribers in the Orion team. Uh, it does help push your English. And remember, you can just do a short chunk. You don't have to do a whole episode. That would be crazy. So in summary, uh, focusing all your attention on three to five minutes of an episode can really help turn input into intake and can maximise your learning potential with this podcast or any other audio resource that you uh, choose to work with. Okay, so check out the website, transcriptions, and, you know, Bob's your uncle. Right, here's a comment from a listener called Yuko. Is it a comment or an email? I don't remember. Anyway, Yuko, and this is a, a, a language question. And actually, honestly, Yuko, your question was so good that you basically answered yourself in the question. So listeners, listen to the question, but you'll see that the answers are all there. So Yuko, let me say at this begin at this point, you know exactly what you're talking about. I think you're probably contacting me because you're not sure. You just need confirmation. But let me just say, let me confirm, you, it's all right. Everything you're saying is correct. So here is Yuko's language question about the word shall. S-H-A-L-L. This modal verb, shall, this slightly mysterious verb that we encounter sometimes. How does it really work? Okay, so this is Yuko's message. Dear Luke, my name is Yuko. I've been a ninja listener of your podcast for a long time. And I'm originally from Japan, which makes my ninja status more authentic, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Definitely. You're a proper Japanese ninja, an original ninja. Um, I'm living in New York, but I'm really fond of British English. And I have a question. When it comes to the usage of shall, it's rarely used here in America, except for those two occasions to suggest something for example shall i do this for you and to use uh like let's you know let's go shall we so we use it after let's so we only use it for suggesting something shall i do this shall i open the window and after we say let's like let's go shall we back in japan i learned that shall is also used interchangeably with will for describing the things or actions in the future. But here, all American friends said that shall is never used in daily life, except for the examples I gave before. And that if I used shall instead of will, it would sound quite archaic or old-fashioned. However, I have a sense that sometimes I catch shall as a description of the future on the BBC or in British dramas or even in a modern setting. So would you mind telling us the use of shall in today's British English? Thank you very much. I always enjoy and admire your witty and sophisticated subjects. Not to mention, it was quite honouring that you chose my country as the destination of your latest trip. Uh, Okay, Yuko, right. So like I said, all of your information is basically correct there, which is that shall these days in the UK as well generally is used to make suggestions and it's usually shall I or shall we? It's not shall you, shall he, shall she. It's just shall I or shall we. Shall I open the window? Shall I make some dinner? Shall I put the kettle on? You know, shall I help you? And shall we, you know, shall we go to the pub as a suggestion, right? Um, And it's also used after let's. Let's go to the pub, shall we? Let's do this, shall we? Let's do that, shall we? Let's have a cup of tea, shall we? Okay? Um, So you're absolutely right about that. It used to be used like will. 
Okay, so times when you could use will when you're talking about the future, uh, it shall used to be interchangeable with will. So I shall see you after lunch, for example. Right? I'll see you later. I shall see you later. But it's right. You're right, Yuko. It does sound a bit old-fashioned. But nevertheless, some people still use it. So you might hear particularly older people uh, or in a slightly more formal setting, you might hear shall being used. So it is still used, probably a bit more than it is in America. Now, the fact that it sounds old-fashioned accounts for why you sometimes hear it in uh, old dramas like Downton Abbey or something. You probably hear it quite a lot there. Um, But it's still not completely gone. Like, for example, my mum still says shall. Um, Like, you know, she, she might say, I shan't be coming to the cinema. Shan't is the negative. I, you know, I shan't be coming to the cinema, meaning I won't come. I won't be coming. Or she might say, I, I expect I shall be ex- exhausted by the end of the day. I expect I shall be exhausted by the end of the day, meaning I expect I'll be exhausted. Now, honestly, it makes her sound a little bit posh. So it sounds a bit posh and old-fashioned. It makes her sound a bit posh uh, and a bit old-fashioned. Uh, maybe she is a bit posh and a bit old-fashioned. I don't think she's that old-fashioned. And honestly, I don't think she's that posh either. Although I do think that my mum does try to speak what she thinks is like really correct English. And what is really correct English. But she often will produce language which is a little old-fashioned sounding. But I never say shall for the future. Never. Unless I'm impersonating a posh person. I never really say shall for the future. I just use it for suggestions. Okay? Uh, But there is also shall... In written English, you sometimes see it in contracts. So if you, any of you out there ever have to deal with legal English, like um, uh, the English that you find in contracts, then you will notice that shall is used a lot in contracts. And it's very useful when you're writing a contract as well, because shall basically um, expresses an obligation. For example, you know, the parties shall enter the agreement and, uh, you know, party A shall uh, distribute the widgets in the in the territory and party B shall uh, make payment within blah, 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 days of delivery. You know, it's just used to give a, a, an obligation in a contract, which is very useful. Uh, but in general, everyday English, it's just for suggestions. OK, so that's it, Yuko. That's my answer to your question about shall. Uh, And let's move on. Uh, I got a comment the other day from Agnes, who is a regular commenter, and she said this. um, And and by the way, um, the the comment crew uh, often talk about the things that they're doing while listening. And many of them go jogging, they go running, they go to the gym. They're really active people. Agnes in particular loves going uh, jogging in the morning. um, And I think that's great. I think it's really impressive that you get up early and you go out and you you run around and then you have breakfast um so everyone's interested in sports and stuff like that now agnes wrote this she said i'm just curious uh whether luke is taking some exercise or not he looks sporty and i suppose that he does some sports activities um i usually jog before going to work in the early morning the best time for burning calories so basically agnes do i do any sport well, uh, not really, no. I don't actually do anything these days. Um, I don't do anything. Since I moved to France, 
I haven't done any exercise. Now, when I was living in London, I used to be a lot more active. I used to play football twice a week. I'd play five-a-side football in the local park. And I also used to go to Hyde Park on Sundays and I'd play football. And I think, for me, football is the best way of keeping fit because essentially you do so much running and, uh, you know, different types of running. Sometimes you sprint, sometimes you're jogging. Um, and it's really, really fun. I love five-a-side football. Uh, it's brilliant. I like to play in defence. Um, I like to defend. That's that's my position. But I also like to run forwards. I like to score goals. Um, but there's nothing more satisfying than executing a really perfectly timed tackle. So I love football. But I don't play football anymore because I don't have anyone to play with. I know, it's sad, isn't it? I've, I haven't got anyone to play with. Plus, there aren't many parks here. Paris is a very sort of, uh, it's not a very green place. There aren't that many parks. And when there are parks, for some reason, you're not allowed to go on the grass, which is rubbish. I really don't like that. I have to say, like, you're not allowed on the grass. They have these lovely open stretches of grass in some of the public parks, but you're not allowed to go on the grass. So, you know, there aren't many places to play football and I don't really have many people to play with which is a bit sad. Maybe what I need to do is set up some kind of comedian's football club because most of my friends here are stand-up comics. So maybe I need to try and set up some sort of, you know, football team for comedians and then we can play five-a-side against each other in some little sports centre. That would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe I should do that. Um, So I used to do that. I also used to rock climb, as you know. I used to do that once a week on Saturdays with uh, my mates. We'd go to the climbing centre uh, we used to go to the climbing centre at, uh, which one did we go? The Castle, which is in like Manor House up in the northeast of London and uh, some other places, the West Way in West London. And that's always good. Uh, you know, there was a while when I was quite sort of well built from doing all that climbing. I kind of really got quite ripped and I uh, had like, you know, my six pack and my muscles and everything. Um, but since I haven't done any exercise for about four years, Except for walking, I do lots and lots and lots of walking. And I think teaching is actually quite energetic. I'm on my feet a lot of the time. There's a lot of moving around that goes on. So that kind of keeps me fairly active. But I need to do more exercise beyond just walking around everywhere. So there you go, Agnes. That's my uh, exercise regime. Um, Comment from Anna Mrozek. Uh, the other day, she wrote, I had, an English, I had an English class today and my classmate asked me, how the hell do you know all these words? So, thank you, Luke, because you deserve the credit for all that. Well, thank you, Anna. That's nice of you to say that. It sounds like uh, you're doing well in your English classes. Maybe that's to do with the podcast, but I can't take all the credit for it, Anna, because I think that uh, if you're remembering the words, if you're remembering them and you're using them, then, you know, I have to give the credit to you. Because not everyone does that. Sounds like you've got the right idea. Um, Here's a comment from Leonid. Leonid. And I don't remember when he wrote this. uh, But this is an interesting comment. So Leonid wrote, Hi there, everyone. Does someone know the accurate meaning of the phrase to be on E? Thanks in advance. I think this is maybe after the um, uh, Gordon Ramsay episode. So to be on E. To be on E or to be on an E, Leonid. Well... Uh, to be on E, E means ecstasy, which is a drug, an illegal drug as far as I know everywhere. It's like a party drug. 
uh, ecstasy, I guess it sort of arrived, what, in the 80s? And it became the drug of the dance scene, like rave music and techno music, and then later all the other forms of uh, dance music. So ecstasy, that's what E means. Uh, it's a pill that people take, and it gives them energy, makes them feel euphoric, and they dance, and they apparently they have a really good time. I don't know if it's unhealthy. Probably is if you do too much. Uh, anyway, that's E. And if you if you take an E, then you will be on E, okay? Because uh, when you're talking about drugs, you say that you're on something, okay? On E, on drugs, on acid, on speed, on cocaine or something. I don't think you would say on weed. No, you, no one ever says that. Like, uh, yeah, so I, I had an encounter with a, a, a strange gentleman the other day. I think he was on weed. I think he was on pot. No one actually says on weed. So people would just say stoned or high if they're talking about marijuana. But um, on E, there you go. That's what that means, Leonid. I don't know where you heard that. Maybe the Gordon Ramsay episode. But there's your answer. To be on E means to be on ecstasy. Um, MDMA, as they know it, as it's called, um, in the scientific community. Um, here's a great com- uh, comment from Cat. Another co- another Cat comment um, that I that I picked out of the comment section because I think it's worth sharing here. Um, and obviously, it makes me feel good because it's very flattering about Luke's English podcast. But I think more than that, I think that this is generally some some pretty good advice from Cat. Um, and so they were having a conversation about improving English. Someone expressed some doubt over their progress in English, and Kat uh, replied with this one. And I, you know, honestly, I don't think this just applies to my podcast. I think it applies to anything that you might listen to regularly. Okay, so it's not just my podcast, but anything really. So Kat said, uh, "Just keep listening to Luke's English podcast and try to listen to episodes more than once." It's on the second listen that we start uh, to notice the language consciously and we start uh, learning. After some time, you can listen to the episode for a third time and there you will see how much you've learned in the meantime. Do it with your favourite episodes and try to listen to other people's podcasts as well and use the same technique. It's very effective. Also, listening during a physical exercise speeds up the learning process because your brain is working uh, at uh, five times the speed of his uh, performance capability. So listen while doing exercise because apparently that sort of maximises the process. So use such shortcuts, especially if you're a bit lazy like I am. I would also add, of course, that you can do transcribing or check out previously written transcripts, which you can find either... Uh, in the Google Documents uh, or just on the uh, pages for published scripts and they can help you notice language as well. But they go to some good tips from, from Catherine there. Uh, listen to episodes more than once. You tend to find that the language goes in on the second and third times you listen. And, you know, you don't have to do that with every episode, but if you've got favourite episodes that you just enjoyed listening to, try listening to them again and again. You might find that you start remembering and therefore learning the content. It's a bit like, for me, when I listen to someone's stand-up routine that I really like. For example, if I think about, like, Bill Hicks or something, one of my favourite comedians, and I've listened to some of his routines again and again, and some of the stuff just is stuck in my mind. It's, It's totally stuck there. And I can recall it and repeat it. And some of it's even gone into my general vocab. Um, So I recommend that you listen to episodes more than once, if you can stand it. 
uh, try listening to them you know a few times you might find the language sticks and there you'll be turning you know input into intake again thanks for that comment cat um i'd like to turn now to talk about a recent episode i did uh, i think it's the last one the last two episodes uh, the film club episodes about touching the void the documentary about the mountain climbing uh, accident involving joe simpson and so touching the void so I, I really hope that you enjoyed the Touching the Void episodes, 448 and 449. I have had a few comments indicating that it moved a few people, but my statistics on my uh, new host's uh, homepage show that the episode hasn't been listened to as much as normal episodes. I don't really know why, but it just seems that those two episodes, which were called Film Club Touching the Void they haven't been listened to as much as normal. They're just slightly lower than normal. But I just wondered what, what you thought. I'm probably thinking about too much. Uh, I, I also often worry about uploading episodes too much. Uh, I've been quite productive recently, and I've been thinking, oh, I don't want to overload my audience. But I think that, and then I get a message or comment from someone who says, we want more. When's the next episode coming out? So, you know, I shouldn't worry, basically. I really shouldn't worry. For example... I recorded an episode uh, just the other day about Alien Covenant, the alien, the new Alien movie. I recorded one just the other day about that. And it's, the episode is about an hour of rambling about the Alien franchise. And I really enjoyed recording it because I'm a fan of the Alien films. And it was nice to like do a movie review of a film that's in the cinemas now. But I'm a little bit wary uh, of uploading it straight away because it would be like the third film club episode in a row... And this isn't strictly a film club, you know, it's not a film podcast. So I don't want my audience to be like, oh, another film club episode. What's this? He's just talking about movies. Um, So I'm just concerned, like, oh, God, I shouldn't, maybe I can't do too many episodes all at the same time. I've been too productive. Um, But you know what? Actually, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about it. It's all good. If you like the episodes, you'll be happy. If you don't, you just don't listen to it. It's fine, isn't it? All right. Fine, good. So that's that sorted out. Um, so I've got some episodes in the pipeline and they're going to arrive in fairly quick order, I think. Um, maybe I'll go on a holiday or something and give you a break and then you can catch up. Uh, but I've got some episodes like this. So I've got an Alien episode. I've got two Amber and Paul episodes um, which have been recorded and they're going to come soon. There's an episode with James, my brother, about music. Uh, we talked about punk because uh, someone can't remember who it was now but someone um asked me to talk about punk music on the podcast um so someone was like I've, you know punk is a british phenomenon uh can you do an episode about punk so i did i spoke to my brother because he's kind of um he's not an expert but he knows a lot about punk music because he's a big fan so i did that and that's really good we did it over skype but the recording quality is brilliant because i gave my brother a microphone i gave him a, a microphone as a gift a usb microphone Gave one to my brother and one to my dad. So now uh, they sound really good when we record them over Skype. So anyway, you can look forward to those episodes coming soon. But anyway, back to Touching the Void, the film club Touching the Void. I'm really glad to see uh, those of you who have listened to it seem to enjoy it. And I shouldn't worry because I've had numerous comments from people responding to the episode in in really good ways. Like Agnes, uh, who I've 
uh, read a comment from just earlier on in the episode. Uh, Agnes said, uh, I've been listening to this story based on facts for the second time today, and I felt an incredible chill down my back and my hair stood up on both of my hands. Luke, telling this uh, telling us this story, you made me be there with them. I saw this horrible broken leg. I saw as Joe dropped down. I saw everything, even though I haven't watched the documentary yet. Just thank you. All right, brilliant. That's good. That's That makes me feel good, Agnes. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, Ethan Lee um, said uh, this. He said, one step at a time, this is my biggest takeaway from this episode. At the end of the day, that's the mantra that keeps us going, staying focused. This story leaves me with lots of food for thought. Thanks, Luke. Well, thanks for your comment, Ethan. It's nice to hear from my listeners. Uh, then Jill Marnie. Um, Jill Marnie, who is just like, really sweet, as far as I can tell. Uh, and Jill Marnie always writes really nice comments in response to my episodes, uh, which is really nice. You know, it, I mean, it really is. I don't know if any of you out there have ever like published something or published any work or anything like that for public consumption. When people write to you, it's genuinely, it really helps. It's really good. It's something that everyone should do. And I don't just mean me. If you've got like someone whose work you like, write them, write to them, tell them what it means to you because it really helps us. It's really, really good. It's food. It's like new, it's like nourishing kind of thing. So, um, Jill Marnie wrote this, and this is quite a long comment, but it's a good one. She wrote this. Um, Thank you so much, Luke. It's an amazing episode. Uh, I want to tell you my personal story about climbing. My parents are both climbers, and they had a club for climbers. They worked there a lot to train and coach. Also, they took a lot of people in uh, on trips for camping, and I always went with them when I was a child. I liked climbing and adventurous trips more than anything else. I'd always climbed and camped before I had an accident in 2014 in Lebanon. I was terribly injured and they expected that I would die. Luckily, I managed to survive. I needed a lot of eye surgeries because my cornea was damaged. Now I can't climb at all. Not because I'm afraid of it, but my doctor prevented me. I got rid of all my pictures and anything that might remind me of climbing or my adventures. I haven't climbed since that day. But I skydived a lot. <laughs> I like that, Jill Marnie. I like the way you're like, no, I stopped climbing because it's too dangerous. But I'm st- I still jump out of aeroplanes. Um, and she continues, climbing always helped me to relax and forget about the troubles that we have in the Middle East. Also, I'm a religious person and it always made me feel happy and close to God. My doctor told me that I will be able to climb again when he removes the stitches. Thanks again, Luke. I'll watch the episode uh, uh, tonight. Luckily, I have Netflix and I love documentaries a lot. I'm waiting for the next episode. Um, Right. So nice one. It's terrible accident that you had, Jilmani, but I'm really glad that you're okay and that you pulled through. Uh, Be careful if you do ever climb again. Maybe you should just be like me. Just stay at home and watch other people do it on YouTube. It's much safer except maybe I should be doing more exercise. But just stay at home and watch other people climbing. There are some amazing videos on YouTube of um, bouldering competitions. Bouldering is where you climb in an indoor climbing centre sometimes, or it could be outdoor. You do these kind of short little routes indoors. The competitions are done indoors. You do these short routes 
and it's um you get to the top they're technical routes you get to the top and you're not too high so you can just jump down onto the crash mat and i used to do bouldering when i was climbing and it was the my favorite top form of climbing and these people who can do this high level bouldering they are unbelievable they're like using they're pinching little bits of rock between their fingers literally pinching the rock and carrying themselves up the rock just from pinching and they're like they're wrapping their feet around things and like basically like using the force they're like spider-man or something it's amazing so check out some of the climbing videos on youtube here's a comment uh, also about touching the void from dav a similar comment actually and Darv says this. He goes, wow, thank you, Luke. I really appreciate the topic you've chosen for a new episode. The film is pretty good and the book as well. I've got one uh, in my bookcase. I have just um, little experience with high mountains because after my wedding, I decided to bury my climbing gear to the very bottom of my wardrobe. And since that day, I've been only a hiker. But anyone who's ever spent some time in a mount- in the mountains... Uh, without any support, just with a climbing mate on the other end of the rope, an ice axe in hand and a pair of crampons, knows that the fact Joe Simpson survived the Suila Grand ordeal is a real miracle. Nothing else than a real miracle. Actually, Dove, I have to take issue with that. I'm not sure it's totally fair on Joe to say that it was a miracle. I mean, I know what you mean. You're saying it was amazing. It was incredible. It's like, you know, an amazing thing that happened. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a miracle, though, because that sort of takes away uh, the struggle that Joe Simpson went through, don't you think? It's certainly extraordinary and incredible that he survived that accident in those conditions. But I think the reason that he got out of it alive is because he was determined not to die in the middle of a glacier he was determined not to die on his own he's the one who chose to continue he's the one who kept going with strategy and determination he's the one who managed to 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 get himself back to his camp um so i don't know if it's fair to say it's a miracle i feel like that takes something away from him but i do understand what you're saying it's extraordinary definitely um and dav continues and he says if someone wants to buy a book i recommend book depository instead of amazon they offer free worldwide delivery which is a real bargain in my opinion i buy books from them regularly from the czech republic and it works well thanks for the recommendation darb actually book deposit uh, book depository or in american english i guess that would be book depository uh, b-o-o-k book uh, d-e-p-o-s-i-t-o-r-y book depository check it out it's a cheaper option than amazon now, Kat uh, replied to Dav, and she said, Dav, uh, but why did you put away your climbing gear? It's like giving up on a part of your true self. Can you be happy with that for long? And Dav replied, and he said, Hi, Kat. At first, I must admit that I was never a climbing machine. I used to climb uh, a few times a year. Let's say just a few weekends and one or two trips to the Tatra Mountains or to the Alps. So it wasn't difficult to give up. In the Czech Republic, climbing is, a very, is very popular, and there are many people who spend every possible moment climbing a piece of rock in their surrounding area. So I can't say I was a climber. Um, I usually say that I've done some climbing. Uh, One day, I considered that my wife meant a lot more to me than climbing. She'd never asked me to stop climbing. She'd never even climbed with me once. But 
Anytime I packed my climbing gear, I saw the same wish in her eyes. Please stay alive. And during my last climbing trip, I had a minor accident, which I've never told my wife about. Fortunately, nothing comparable to Joe and Simon. But I realised that I was being very selfish. Dava, I wonder if your wife listens to this because she now, (laughs) she she knows about it now. Um, Anyway, Dav goes on to say, I enjoyed it. I liked it. But my parents and other people who truly love me were frightened to death every time I left them with a rope in my bag. Now I know that it wasn't the climbing that I liked, but it was mainly a peaceful and calm space around me. It was the fact that I can leave all my daily routine behind me. Now I know it's not adrenaline that I need. It's just some kind of feeling that I'm alone, just on my own in some remote area. So today, long-distance hiking is an activity that gives me everything I need. I just pack my rucksack, a tent, a fuel stove, some food, maps and a compass and I just walk. It's different to climbing. It's definitely not so dangerous. However, it provides me the same pleasure. Unfortunately, the Alps are full of people and there are so many huts. But some parts of the Pyrenees are amazing. The western part of Ukraine as well and the Andes are a dream for any hiker. I have many dreams. CDT in USA is one of them, as well as many others around the world. The only disadvantage of long-distance walking is that it's very time-consuming compared to climbing. Are you a climber, Cat? Uh, and um, uh, we don't know if Cat's a climber. We know that Cat. I think Cat's a walker. Uh, not not like a walker from the from the Walking Dead. She's a walker, not that kind of walker but just someone who walks just the normal kind of walker um uh, cat replied to dave's long comment by saying dav if i were luke i would read your comment out in the next episode it's deeply felt and full of love well cat that's exactly what i've done obviously and dav said thank you cat but i've noticed that some people don't like long episodes and my comment is so long that luke would have to record an extra episode just to read it out well i've sort of done that with this one and we're nearly finished, actually. So those of you who don't like the long episodes, just you can just uh, keep your hair on. Um, I think, to be honest, I don't get that many messages from people saying they don't like the long episodes. It's just a suspicion that I have, and it's just something that my dad and my friends always tell me. So the people who actually listen to it don't often say that they think the episodes are, are too long. Like, um, I've got a feedback form on my website, which I invite you all to uh, to to complete and it says please give me some feedback and one of the questions there is like do you listen all the way to the end of uh the episodes and if you could change something about the podcast what would you change and honestly the vast majority of people say they wouldn't change anything and they always listen all the way to the end so fine okay so here's a final uh comment and it's basically a success story uh from a listener called eric in brazil um so um this is eric's uh, success story he goes hello luke this is eric from brazil today i was listening to uh, your episode number 429 podcast during my running while running um while running i felt encouraged um i think i guess the 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 phrase here is i felt compelled i felt compelled to share my listening experience with you. So not I felt encouraged to do it, but I felt compelled to do it. And I like that phrase because it's a nice phrase, but also because you always hear that on uh, Mark and Simon's film review, 
uh, Kermode and Mayo's Film Review, which is my favourite podcast of all time. I'm a long, long-term li- listener of that podcast. And they read out listeners' comments all the time in their podcast. And they, someone always says, I felt compelled to write to you. I felt compelled to comment. All right, so I'm rewriting that, Eric. Let's start again. Today, when I was listening to uh, episode 429 uh, while running, I felt compelled to share my listening experience with you. I've been listening to you for about one and a half years, usually when I go running. So you've been my partner twice or three times a week. Strange, but I feel as if I've known you for a long time. Actually, Uh, I I think your podcast is more than just a teaching one. It's more like a variety show with news, entertainment, fun stuff, etc. I really enjoy your long talks, which can be just some information, some funny talk or more deep issues, which are very good for getting immersed into the English language. Um, So it's, you know, it's gratifying to hear other points of view uh, of the various subjects in the media, uh, especially when you bring guests onto your show, like your father, um, Amber, Paul, etc. Sometimes it can be very hard for me to understand. So this is the, the issue that Eric had. Um, sometimes I find it really hard to understand everything. But I took your advice. I keep going, listening to some epi- episodes more than once, trying to get as much as I can. And now I can say that I broke through the language barrier and I can really understand and talk in English because of you. So I I just have to thank you for all the material that you provide for free and especially for your success in making your podcast so popular and genuine. Well, thank you, Eric. Uh, It's always very nice to read these flattering comments. I said before about how I like to get feedback. It's nice to be flattered. You know, it is. It's nice to get all that stuff. Uh, I've been doing the podcast for eight years. Uh, It's still nice (laughs) to get it. But those of you out there, I mean, like, like, sometimes my my friends and family my brother for example i think he sometimes uh thinks that it's going to go to my head that if i read this stuff all the time that it's going to go to my head and i'm going to sort of change and i'm going to become like this arrogant twat uh because people write this stuff to me uh um well i'm aware of all that okay and when i do get nice comments i just take it as it is um it, I don't feel any different to how I how I was when I started doing this uh, years ago. But it's encouraging. It's just nourishing and encouraging to get comments like that. And it's always good to uh, learn of any success that anyone's had um, from listening to this podcast. I mean, I don't think it's just the podcast. I think it's the way that you listen or the approach that you have or the things that you're doing, really, that help you convert this into, you know, like results in your English. So I didn't share that comment just to remind you of how wonderful I am, but also just to remind you that if you find it difficult to follow everything you hear on this podcast, that you should keep going and you should battle through the moments of difficulty. Uh, r- listen to your the episodes you like again, and you'll find that bit by bit you build your understanding. Uh, I can't really understand how anyone could expect to learn English properly without listening to a lot of it. I think that's vital. If you are going to speak English. If you want to speak English, you've got to listen to a lot of it. You've also got to do loads of speaking. And, you know, you've got to practice and activate that muscle. You know, like if you're training to be a rock climber, you've got to do lots of rock climbing. Um, But, you know, listening, doing lots of listening, I think is a vital part of developing your English. And I do meet quite a lot of people, you know, learners of English that I teach, and they don't really do much listening 
outside of the class. You know, they kind of assume that just spending a couple of hours in the classroom is going to be enough. Well, it's not really enough. And, you know, uh, this whole input intake thing, there is so much input out there, so much of it. And there's this podcast, but there's so many other things that you could you know, listen to. And so many good stuff, so much good stuff, some really great things, you know, like other people's podcasts I've talked about before. Um, so, you know, there's, I think that it's easier now than ever before to do lots and lots of listening. And I'm sure that's going to help people. It's, I'm sure it's going to help you. So do continue to do it. I think it's vital. Um, right, we've nearly finished. I'd like you to just do me a favour, if you would. I'd like you to do me a f- couple of things. One thing is, if you know someone who might like this podcast, if you know someone who's, you know, learning English or they um, they like the kind of stuff that you hear on this podcast, if you know someone who might like this, please share it with them. Recommend it to that person. Tell them how to listen to it. You know, that they should subscribe to it on their phone, uh, that they should subscribe to the mailing list. Um, recommend it. Re- recommend the podcast to someone who you think will like it. Uh, that would really help. It's a really good way to spread the word in a sort of organic way. Another thing that you could do is uh, write a nice review for this podcast on iTunes. That's really good for the podcast because it helps things like algorithms, um, which sort of are involved in getting my podcast featured in the recommended section on iTunes. Also for the Google Play Store as well, write a review on there if you would. And generally, it just looks good when new people check out the podcast and it would just make me feel good and put a smile on my face, which ultimately will feed back into the podcast and make it, you know, probably better in the long run. Um, Don't forget to subscribe to the mailing list on the website. Just stick your email address in. I'm not going to spam you. I'm just going to send you a link to the page for every new episode in your inbox, uh, which will give you instant access to the notes and other stuff. And uh, watch out, watch this space, ladies and gents, for news of a potential Luke's English podcast app for your phone or tablet, which could include some bonus app-only content. So there could be some stuff coming soon. Uh, All right. Okay. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. You are a wonderful, brilliant person. Uh, That's the end of this episode. And speak to you again soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.